This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Monday, March 20th. Here's today's weather forecast. Sunny, a little on the breezy side, and a high of 6 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, Montreal's fire has left one dead. Six people are still missing. Number two, Toronto's downtown, now a Tuesday to Thursday affair. Number three, the Nordstrom liquidation sale could start as early as tomorrow. Number four, Donald Trump says he's going to be arrested tomorrow. And number five, a woman files a lawsuit against Tim Hortons for Burns. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Well, happy Monday to you. 507, minus two degrees. I don't think... The show is necessarily going to sound different, but it may feel a little different today. I'm having some serious old school uh, COVID shutdown vibes because over the weekend started to feel like I might have a cold. Haven't done the test. Don't know if it's COVID. I've already had COVID, so maybe it's not. But we are in a whole new era now where I was not going to haul my butt into the studio in order to expose my good colleagues and friends to something, whether or not it's COVID. And, you know, if, if, I mean, I was going to say if anything changed in the whole COVID period, I mean, lots of things changed and we'll get to one of those major stories in just a moment. But one of the things that definitely changed was this sort of, I'm going to work through this attitude of, I'm going to go to this party or I'm going to go to this theater show, or I'm going to show up at the office in spite of the fact that I'm not feeling all that well. And I just thought there was no way I was going to, even if it's just the common cold, expose my coworkers to this. So working from home today, um, I guess that's a certain incentive. If you have never seen my background um, from the home, you can tune into CP24 minutes from now and um, take it all in. I do always, and I did uh, through the whole COVID thing, Nick Marano, you and I weren't working together during COVID, but um, I mean, I, I think I was home for like a year, so it's not that out of the um, out of the the pattern, I guess, to be working from home. But I completely everything I feel like I'm improvising from start to finish. It does bring back some uh, memories, I'll call them, uh, because yeah, during uh, the whole um, COVID uh, time frame, it was no one was in the building. I mean, the producers are working from home, or the hosts are working from home. But you guys had to work from the office. Yeah, because I often said that the extension cord doesn't quite reach to my house, <laughs> but it's uh, but it, it was really eerie just to walk into an empty building for over two years, and then when you guys started to come back into the studio it also felt awkward i mean we welcomed you but it felt really awkward yeah um so yeah but to come back to the thought i was expressing actually which is that i have always put little easter eggs in back of me um for when i'm on television just to amuse people i don't think there's anything that special because i didn't have a lot of time to prepare for this morning there's the usual expos hat and if you have really keen eyes, there's a picture of me with Celine Dion, but that's it. So um, let's get into the news stories. And it was interesting in preparing for the show today, and I'm going through all this coverage of the fire in Montreal, and I'm thinking 
This is possibly one of the most fatal fires we have had in Canada in a fairly long time. And yet it hasn't really made the headlines, perhaps because it sort of came in drips and drabs. Um, you know, the we had the fire, which happened on Thursday. We talked about it on Friday, but we didn't talk about it in great detail. And perhaps that's because nobody knew at the time that at least seven people were missing. So the death toll this morning is one person confirmed dead, seven people missing, and an historic building, an absolutely gorgeous um, building that probably dates back about 150 years, is being dismantled. And if I'm looking at the images, I'm pretty sure, and again, this always depends on whether or not you're an ex-Montrealer, but you know, Toronto is the biggest expat Montreal community in Canada. Um, but it looks like it's in old Montreal on a square just um, to the north of the port. Anything would be to the north of the port because it's the port. Um, and it looks like it's actually across the street from a place called Gibby's. Um, Gibby's is one of those historic eateries. And uh, Pierre Trudeau used to go there once a week. Uh, it's, it's definitely one of those historic... Uh, institutions and it looks like this is one of the places just across the street from it and far be it from me to you know mourn a building before I mourn seven people having passed away but it's a gorgeous old building and it's a tragedy to see it coming down uh, the thinking is that the reason they don't have a hard fix on who's missing and perhaps dead. I mean, it could turn out that the death toll is much lower. Uh, the issue would be that uh, there were a lot of Airbnb rentals in this place. So there are people who cannot be accounted for because nobody even knows if anybody was there at the time, if it was a tenanted apartment or if there were one or two people staying there over the weekend. Cause of the fire also still remains a mystery. Uh, I was mentioning, you know, the whole COVID thing. Um, there's an interesting article today by Rachel Youngley in the Globe and Mail about Toronto's downtown. And what's funny is sometimes you get a piece of information and then all of a sudden you turn around and there it is confirmed in a news report. Because I was talking to some people on the weekend who were already intimating this. And that is that essentially people are going to work uh, Monday or Tuesday to Thursday, Monday and Friday. It is a total ghost town in downtown Toronto. And so we're still at about, um, I mean, in terms of people who are servicing. So, you know, the dry cleaners, the hair cutters, the people like that, it's about 50% below what it was in pre pandemic levels across the board. But when it comes to when people are in and out of the downtown, um, Friday, forget it, nobody. Monday, not great. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are the days where people are patronizing the downtown. Uh, another story, and we'll talk about this in a little bit in greater detail when we hook up with our friends at CP24 in just a couple of minutes, but Nordstrom is in a courtroom today trying to arrange its affairs as they go into liquidation. But it looks like that liquidation could start as early as tomorrow. And... You know, again, this is one of those good news, bad news stories, because ultimately 2,500 people in Canada are losing their jobs. But um, this is going to be one heck of a liquidation sale. 
I mean, uh, you're talking about a luxury retailer going into liquidation mode, in which case, you know, there's going to be a lot of pretty desirable stuff is going to be coming up for sale as early as tomorrow. Let's get into what Toronto is talking about with News Talk 1010's John Moore joining us from home this morning. Good morning, John. Uh, good morning. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Unfortunately, not a great start to our topics this morning. We're talking about recovery efforts after the fire in old Montreal. Yes, and sorry for my fuzzy appearance this morning. We'll try to resolve that momentarily. But yes, the bigger story would certainly be uh, fire in Montreal, which it seems has taken at least one life, but seven people in all are missing. So this easily be one of the uh, more disastrous fires that we've had in Canada in the last while. Uh, cause of the fire remains unknown. And, you know, aside from the death toll, a tragedy here is, as you can see in the video, what a beautiful, beautiful historic building in old Montreal, and they are taking it down. Switching gears to maybe something a little more uplifting, Nordstrom's liquidation sale. People have been waiting for it for about a month now, and it seems like a date might be sooner than we think. Nordstrom's lawyers are going to be in court today and they're just trying to straighten things out. But yes, in all likelihood, a sale could begin as early as tomorrow. And you have to bear in mind, I mean, this is a luxury goods retailer. So this is going to be uh, quite the affair for Torontonians. It'll be a sad affair, I guess, because 2,500 people across Canada are losing their jobs. But we have um, uh, you know, uh, several Nordstrom stores and then there's Nordstrom Rack, all of which are going to be having a liquidation. All right. Something to look forward to there. Uh, you're working from home. I'm in the studio. A lot of people doing something in between, but it seems like that's affecting the Toronto's uh, downtown office buildings. Interesting account of how this is affecting Toronto's downtown. And effectively, Wednesday now seems to be the busiest day. Monday and Friday, the city is a ghost town. Most people are working from the office. And even now, that's not a huge portion of workers. But the majority of people who are going into the office are working from Tuesday to Thursday. As of early March, the percentage of employees in Toronto's financial hub averaged 43% of pre-pandemic occupancy levels. It's a huge and apparently permanent change to how we work. And of course, the impact on, uh, you know, dry cleaners, food courts, um, retailers is enormous and something we're going to have to adjust to. Absolutely. Here's another big permanent change. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev wanting to standardize testing for healthcare workers who are trained abroad. It's an interesting proposal. I mean, Pierre Polyev is trying to have his impact because there will be an election sooner than later, most people think. Some are speculating that we're going to have an election by September. But Pierre Polyev is proposing something called a blue seal, which he's modeling on something called the red seal that applies to people in the trades. And the idea is simple. You know, take people who are qualified to work in Canada who are currently you. you know driving cabs and uh, working for Fedora and find a way to certify them in order for them to be employed. And so his proposal is for medical workers who are qualified, find a way to certify them within a period of about two months. It's something people have been calling for for quite some time. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Our last topic here, uh, team building isn't necessarily fun for everyone on the team. And it seems like it might end up biting employers in the butt. 
Yeah, this is some interesting research. And effectively, they're confirming what we probably already knew in our hearts. Like, I never – if put me in an escape room, and I, I would lose my mind if I was in there with my fellow employees, much as I may love them. So they have found that effectively workplace team-building exercises that people have been running for years, including improv classes, escape rooms, other things like that, actually don't work. Now, they don't necessarily propose what people should be trying to do in order to, to build teams. This is all based on something I had not previously heard of, actually, called the Fang Companies. That's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, who effectively came up with all of these strategies to try and make their workers feel better about work. And then everybody parroted them. But the uh, proof is in the pudding. It does not build teams. Nobody's happier. No one's happy, but maybe pudding itself could work. <laughs> <laughs> John Moore with Newstalk 1010, thank you for joining us this morning. You take care. You too. I was eating the baby on CP24. And uh, after encouraging everybody to tune in, I'm not sure what was going on, but all of a sudden I was completely out of focus. We're, um, we're improvising today, uh, owing to the fact that I'm working from home, but uh, I guess we'll get a few things right, we'll get a few things wrong, but I think we'll get you to work or wherever it is you need to be as uh, as required um speaking of these team building things it's funny to read about this because i used to as you know uh do improv and one of our things was we had a corporate department where we would go to a company or you know any kind of place of employment and we would teach people improv and i still I'm firmly convinced that improv is a great model for life and for work because the idea, the core idea of improv is, first of all, be open to anything. But second of all, somebody gives you something, make it better and give it back. That's the whole model for improv. However, I can also appreciate that it's probably a fate worse than death for some people to be thrown into a room with a bunch of overly enthusiastic improvisation teachers and told that now you have to pretend to be a squirrel. Um, and certainly I know, I, I like all of the people I work with, to be perfectly honest, but the idea of being put in an escape room or told to solve a puzzle, um, we've been in a few situations where we've been mandated to try some sort of an experimental thing together, and it just, no, I'm not in. I'm just, it, it ain't my jam, as a friend of mine likes to say. 5.29 is the time, so moments away from the 5.30 headlines and a check on traffic. Enough time to tell you that obviously coming up in the next half hour, it'll be the five things you need to know. Plus, we'll start digging into a few stories, including the controversy about James Reimer, the former goalie with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And this weekend, he declined to take part in a Pride event. And I have many thoughts on the issue. It'll be interesting also to find out what our contributors have to say. Scott Reed's going to be here at 6.20. Then we have the roundtables at 7.45 and 8.45. Um, you know, not to keep you in suspense and not that you might be in suspense about what my view on anything might be. Um, but, you know what, knock yourself out. You can have any opinion you want and you can wear what the collateral damage may be. I thought Brian Burke was great, as he often is on this particular issue. He may be a grumpy old man who refuses to speak to me, but he has been a, a bulwark when it comes to uh, diversity. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore.
5.37 on a Monday morning. And as a matter of fact, today is going to be the first day of spring. Not the first full day of spring, but uh, Nick Marano, precisely what time does spring arrive today? According to the Old Farmer's Almanac, 5.24 p.m., right in the middle of the rush this afternoon. All right. So more reason to listen to the rush because spring arrives. Um, stories that we're continuing to cover. This is one of those stories where, you know, when it was happening, I thought that looks really serious, but it's in Montreal. So, you know, how heavily invested are we? And now that the possible death toll is seven, I guess we're pretty heavily invested in the story. We have um, fire officials still on the scene of a fire that actually happened on Thursday. And at least seven people are missing. Only one confirmed dead. Now, this could turn out to be much less uh, of a deadly affair because nobody really knows who was in the building. Um, they have uh, a list of who owns and who lives in it, but in some cases, these were non-tenanted apartments and condos, and there may or may not have been people there who were staying Airbnb. So uh, we'll continue to cover the story. The other aspect to this is, if you've seen the images, it is one of those classic old Montreal buildings, and they are going to tear it down, which is uh, a heritage tragedy, definitely, but not to, you know, be a bigger deal than the fact that there are still seven people, one person dead, six others missing. Uh, speaking of other tragedies, the details of a regimental funeral for two Edmonton police officers who were murdered uh, in the line of duty um, are still in question. Uh, the premier, as you may know, in Alberta is an ex-radio star. Proof once again that radio can lead to things. You know. um, but uh, she was doing her radio show yesterday and she had speculated that the plans had been made, but as it turns out, they've not. So, um, But the story, as you may know by now, is a woman, 55, calls the police, calls 911, and says, my son is trying to kill me. And police show up, and she actually met them outside of the apartment. They went in. They were wearing full body armor. Well, not full body armor, but they were wearing uh, protective vests at the time. Uh, but the 16-year-old opened fire on them. Neither one of the police officers had a chance to even unholster their weapon, uh, and they both were killed. Then the woman goes back in, and apparently struggled with her son to take his firearm away, and he shot her, and then he killed himself. And the one of the untold aspects in this story is that the uh, young man's father was actually there at the time as well. He was in a, another room, and he was not injured in all of this. One of the things the uh, premier revealed on her show, not that this makes anything any better, but I suppose it's some comfort to the families, and those who know them, uh, but the constables' families each get $100,000 from something called the Heroes Fund, which is something that exists in Alberta at the very least. I'm not sure if we have that here. And then other police officers went out and set up a GoFundMe page, and already $314,000 has been raised out of a goal of $350,000. So at least the families, including the pregnant wife of one of the police officers who was killed, will be looked after. Meanwhile, um, we'll certainly know more about this, one of the reasons why you want to continue to listen to News Talk 1010 all through the day. 
Uh, lawyers for Nordstrom are going to be in court today trying to work out the details of their uh, liquidation in Canada. And uh, we have six Nordstrom stores, seven Nordstrom rack stores. And I think, only based on uh, my own observations, I think we got uh, at least, I know we have one rack. I think we have two, because I think there's one out on the, um, out in Etobicoke. Um, but we have, I think, also two mainstream Nordstrom stores. Anyway you slice it, this is going to be one heck of a liquidation sale. And it could begin as early as tomorrow. And I have a feeling it's going to be quite the run. One of the aspects of a liquidation sale, though, is there's sort of a ripple effect, which is that everybody runs to, for example, Nordstrom liquidating, and then that's a bunch of product they won't buy at any other retailer. So... Uh, even if you're a retailer that doesn't have any you know, major issues, um, this means that you're going to sell less because people are getting luxury goods, in this case, for less. Uh, Nick, throw in the uh, report from Glenn McGregor. Uh, Vladimir Putin made a surprise visit to Mariupol yesterday, which is one of the territories the Russians actually continue to hold in Ukraine. And I don't know about the rest of you, but I had some serious Hitler in Paris vibes in watching Vladimir Putin tour this territory where nobody's happy that he is there. Nobody's happy the Russians are holding the territory, but it's probably going to be held for a good long time. In a city devastated by Russian attacks, Vladimir Putin today played tourist, driving himself through the streets of Mariupol visiting monuments and meeting residents of a new housing complex built by Russia after countless apartments were destroyed by airstrikes that he ordered. Do you like it here, Putin asks. Yes, it's warm and cozy, they say. Thank you. It's a small piece of heaven, she says. More new homes will be built, he promises, posing for pictures with construction plans. The sites he didn't see on this public relations tour, the bombed-out buildings, the maternity hospital heavily shelled by his troops, and the mass graves that surround an occupied city still in ruin. He's definitely trying to show his own population that he's in control, that Mariupol and the Donbass are very much in Russian control, and that he's the man in charge. This trip into Russian-occupied territory is the closest Putin has come to the front lines of the war he started over a year ago. After a lengthy siege of a steel factory last year, Russian troops took control of much of Mariupol in the Donbass region, one of their few major victories. Yesterday, Putin also visited Crimea, held since Russia annexed it in 2014. The day after, an arrest warrant for him was issued by the International Criminal Court. His trip is seen by Ukraine as an outrageous provocation. Well, you know, they say that murder always comes back to the crime scene. Putin is preparing to host China's leader on a three-day visit to Moscow this week. Xi Jinping is pushing a peace plan for Ukraine, but most experts believe that a proposal from one of Russia's closest allies is unlikely to have any effect in ending the conflict. That is uh, Glenn McGregor reporting on Putin's visit to uh, Mariupol. And, um, well, I don't have any trenchant thoughts on the whole thing except to say it's just i i don't understand the long game in all of this because vladimir putin seems to labor under something that was disproven during the second world war which is that you can take over a country and hold it and the germans rolled into poland and france and uh, countless other countries and 
while the French kind of said, okay, well, we're not going to fight you, um, they never quite gave up. Uh, there's, a, there's a grotesque exaggeration of how many people were in the resistance. Everybody after the war said they were in the resistance, but there was a resistance. And in Ukraine, there is going to be a resistance until the Russians leave, because the Russian fiction that Ukraine is not a country, that it is not a culture, that it is not a nation, is a fiction. So why would these people roll over and say, yeah, sure, let's let one of the world's most uh, regressive uh, cultures run this culture? Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. And we'll get some legal perspective on that Tim Hortons lawsuit a little later on in the show. Our old friend Gavin Tai is actually arguing the case on behalf of the woman. But a lot, this particular case, which is a woman who was burned by a hot tea, uh, has a lot of people revisiting the famous McDonald's case. And there is a fundamental misunderstanding when it comes to the McDonald's case. There's sort of a shopping list of lawsuits that are trotted out as examples of uh, civil cases gone wild. And a lot of them are either exaggerated, uh, misrepresented, or they don't exist. For example, there's one where a guy broke his neck while he was breaking into a house and then sued the house owners uh, in order to get some sort of a settlement to look after himself now that he was disabled. Never happened. Uh, the McDonald's case is an interesting one because what they established was that they knew that the coffee machine was running too hot. They knew they were serving up coffee that was going to burn their clients. So it's not a case of what a crazy woman. She put a, uh, a you know cup of coffee between her legs and got a burn, and then she tried to blame McDonald's. McDonald's was fully responsible in that case. And I would imagine Gavin Ties, nobody's idiot. Um, I would imagine he knows what he's doing when it comes to arguing a case, $500,000 incidentally, um, about some hot tea that disfigured a woman after she spilled it on herself. So uh, Pierre Polyevre, kind of an interesting effort, although I suspect this is one of those things where the government doesn't really have a pony in the race, but it's still a good idea. Pierre Polyevre is calling for countrywide standardized testing to speed up license approvals for doctors and nurses. He calls it the Blue Seal Testing Standard. Would allow qualified healthcare professionals to work in any province or territory, the volunteers to be a part of this program. It would be a test that would produce an answer within 60 days. And again, uh, as mentioned, the you know, it's the licensing organizations that look after this sort of thing. So government might be able to put some pressure on them, but government doesn't really have the power here. Interesting case that was raging over the weekend, and that is James uh, Raymer or Reimer. I'll, I'll leave it to people who know better because uh, I just, you know, I'm, I, ha I didn't follow the Maple Leafs then. I don't follow the Sharks now. Uh, but he is a goalie for the Sharks. And they were having uh, an evening where they were honoring LGBTQIA plus um, people. And he decided he wasn't going to be a part of it. Put out a statement, said, for all 13 years of my NHL career, I have been a Christian, not just in title, but in how I choose to live my life daily. I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sins and in response asks me to love everyone and follow him. Uh, 
I have no hate in my heart for anyone, and I have always strived to treat everyone that I encounter with respect and kindness. In this specific instance, he continues, I am choosing not to endorse something that is counter to my personal convictions, which are based on the Bible, the highest authority in my life. Okay, um, you know, I am a, a very firm believer in the notion that people can have whatever view they want. I have defended people with hateful views. I've defended uh, Ernst Zundel. Um, it, the only time where that runs into conflict is if your expressed view actually interferes with the rights and freedoms of other people. In the case of James Reimer, it doesn't. It's just sort of rude. And so he can say what he wants, but when people come after him, uh, that is not a sign. I, I, it was interesting looking at Twitter on the weekend. People, oh, so you're intolerant of his freedom to express his views? No, I'm not. I'm, you know, I love the idea that to be uh, to discriminate against somebody who says negative things is a level of intolerance. He is perfectly permitted to say whatever the heck he wants. And if that gets him into trouble or makes him less popular or even begins to damage his career because he's a free agent next year, so he's going to have to start looking for another club, then, you know, that's just too bad. That's the price of your freedom of expression. So, you know, James Reimer can say what he wants. I'd offer, though, I don't know if there'd be such a, a backstopping effort because uh, a lot of people are coming to his defense. Um, I, I don't know that that would be the same thing if, for example, they had a night to celebrate women and somebody for religious reasons said, I'm not going to be a part of that. Um, so this, but, but this is all part of something that's going on in the States and to a lesser extent in Canada. I know that, uh, Kareem Assad was documenting some people protesting against drag queens this weekend, but there is just this, um, vicious kickback against sexual minorities. And I don't know where it's necessarily coming from because a lot of people represent it as a form of victimhood, that the existence of a drag queen, for example, reading to kids whose parents all wanted their kids to be there, that the existence of this event is somehow oppressing uh, another cohort of the population. I don't quite get why Americans at the moment are so completely exorcised about drag queens and sexual minorities. And I guess one last thought on this is, I always thought, and I'm trying to remind myself of Martin Luther King's um, quote, which was something about, I think, the unbending arc to freedom. But I always thought that once people had gained a level of freedom and acceptance, that the battle was over. And clearly right now it's not. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.